on to today's episode. So I brought in my man Kyle Tanner today, and Kyle is someone that I think you guys are really, really going to love hearing from, and especially learning from. So Kyle has faced more health complications than I think anybody deserves to face. He, at age 16, was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Amid all of this, he has graduated CMU, and more importantly, he has chosen to see the opportunity in life, and he is, it's just in his DNA that you must live your best life. And it's absolutely incredible to hear, and I hope you guys enjoy. You're going to learn all about him in the next 60 minutes. Guys, if you do have the time, you want to go to iTunes, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We always love your feedback. More importantly, enjoy the show. Today with me, I have Kyle Tanner. Kyle, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on today. Um, Thanks, Jared. So... Yeah, so you just graduated from CMU, right? Yes, I did. Just about two weeks ago, uh, I graduated. So it seems like it wasn't that long ago. Actually, it might have been more than mm-hmm. two weeks ago. It's just time has not really made sense since then. But uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't seem yeah. like that long ago. Yeah, so I know you kind of had a long road up to then, but what mm-hmm. was it finally like to cross the stage? Uh, it's, still, it's still sinking in for me, I think. Uh it didn't, I guess it just didn't seem real or it didn't, I guess what actually it means to graduate didn't set in and how my life isn't going to be the same. You know, I'm not going to be at class anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be living in a, a college town per se and being a student. So that all hasn't really sank in. And that was, I, yeah, it just, it didn't really sink in for me and still really hasn't. So it was kind of a surreal experience, I guess, because, because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I remember graduating and like those first couple of weeks for me were like limbo. I just, you're so used to grinding, you know, especially senior year, if you have classes to finish, and it's such a grind and then it's just like flash of the pan, it's over. Yeah. And that, I definitely yeah. was up to the last minute, pretty much I was doing work. So <laughs> yeah. So what was your major? Uh, broadcasting and cinematic arts was my major. And then I had a minor in multimedia design. Okay. So, so yeah. what what do you want to do with that then? Um, you know, really, I haven't figured that out. It's just a lot of. I feel like what I what I'm going to end up doing is kind of a mixture of all my, of all my things coming together because I really haven't thought about exactly what I want to do that do yet. Right now, mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot of photography, and that's nothing to do with my okay. major actually. But I took a lot of photojournalism classes uh, during my like last year, two years at Central, and that really got me you know interested in photojournalism in photography in general. So that's what the route I'm taking right uh, at this moment right now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I know. I mean, a lot of kids graduate with one thing and do something completely mm-hmm. different. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, no pressure. Um, well, like I said, I know it was a, a long journey up until your graduation, graduation from CMU. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. I understand. I, I saw, I first you know, got in contact with you because you put out uh, an article through CM life mm-hmm. and it was kind of highlighting your your health complications and everything yep. you went through yep. uh, up to this point in your life. So, but before we get to that, I want to know about Kyle Tanner pre-diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. So what was your childhood like? Well, I grew up in uh, agricultural Michigan, south, like far southern Michigan, in the city called Hudson, uh, relatively about like 2,000 people, probably 2,300 people. Uh, okay. And... Uh, yeah, I I grew up a pretty I feel like a a fairly normal life. Uh I lived with my mom and my dad. I had or I do have I have two sisters, a half sister, a full sister, uh and mm-hmm. a half brother. Uh I didn't grow up with my brother, but I grew up with my two sisters until my first sister moved out and then my uh second sister also moved out. But uh yeah, I grew up with my two sisters. Uh had my mom, my dad here. Uh lived you know, since we kind of live out in the middle of nowhere. I feel like, uh, I had a lot of room to run and a room to play. Uh, you know, we lived on a few acres. Well, we live on a few acres of land. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I fished a lot. I played sports a lot. Uh, Hudson's really known for, for wrestling and football. I, but I played neither of those sports. I did. Uh, yeah. I played a lot of basketball and, uh, that's pretty much, you know, I played that up until like my junior year of, high school but you know i you know i grew up and i felt like a pretty normal stable life besides i was sick a lot more often than a lot of kids my age uh yeah 
and you know i had i had a lot of like health health things going on like i'd get a pneumonia or like i was just always a very fragile kid also but it didn't stop me from playing you know contact sports and playing really rough when i was a kid but (laughs) that's fantastic um so let's get into it then so i believe you were 16 yep at the time that your life kind of got flipped upside down so you want to talk about that yeah uh i'd always when i was younger i felt like i was like a I was always afraid that there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they call that? Is it a hypochondriac? Yeah. Hypochondriac. I was definitely a hypochondriac. Yeah. I definitely felt like there was always something wrong with me. Uh, and I was always smaller, you know, than most kids, my, most kids, my age, a lot lighter, skinnier, mm-hmm. you know, not, not too short, uh, but shorter than a majority. But, uh, yeah, and uh, I always thought there was something wrong with me. And then one day when I was – it was right before I turned 16. Uh, it was during uh, – I was watching, like, a Michigan football game. It was Michigan versus Western Michigan back in, like, 2010 or 2011. And uh, I – after the game was over, I just remember, like, getting a really sharp pain in my side. It was hmm. me and my friend. We were playing video games, and it was just, like, a really sharp pain in my side that was really – painful and uh it just got worse and worse i started vomiting and then we decided to take me to the hospital because uh, things were just getting too out of hand and there was, was this like, like a, sorry was this a matter of like a couple hours or like yes instant? yeah this was a okay. couple hours over yeah okay and uh we decided to go to the hospital uh i was then i was diagnosed with a kidney stone you know we thought it might have been like appendicitis or something like that but it was a kidney mm-hmm. stone which isn't too common my age but you know it's nothing like too too out of the ordinary for someone to have uh, but from those, from being in the hospital, I had blood tests done and they were able to tell with these blood tests that there was just something, there was something off, especially in my, uh, I believe it was my, yeah, it was my platelets. So my platelets were just right. a lot lower than an average person's platelets. You know, they were like around mm-hmm. 80 or 90 and, you know, someone's, you know, normal range is up around 200 or more. So mm-hmm. uh, they just thought, thought something was a little off about that. And uh, so they were like, uh, you know, maybe this is just a, an acute thing. Maybe it's from all the stress with having this kidney stone. But we're going to have you do follow-up blood work. So I did fo- follow-up blood work. You know, results were the same. And they're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to send you to – we're going to send this to a, to a hematologist at the University of Michigan. Because uh, this might be something that, you know, we don't know exactly what we're dealing with. So they sent that information to the University of Michigan. I started seeing a, uh, I think right off the bat, I might have started seeing, oh, I've seen it on hematologist first. Mm-hmm. And then once they started to look deeper into that, they seen some other cell, you know, weird, weird numbers. And I think probably the really low white blood cells. Right. Perhaps I had a low ANC too, absolute neutrophil count. And then I was referred from hematology to oncology, which because they were starting to think along the lines of maybe like a blood cancer or something like that. Uh, But, you know, they brand a few things by us, you know, Oh, don't get, you know, don't get too worried right now. We're not Mm -hmm. sure this is. And uh, we, you know, they told me what they thought it probably was. They said that, you know, we think that you might have leukemia, which was, you know, a very, a really, really serious diagnosis. Right. Uh, but they weren't sure. And they said, you know, we're going to try a plat, uh, which is a little, a little more uh, what we thought it might have been. And then tested a few other things. And then Fanconi anemia, which is what I'm diagnosed, as, diagnosed with, was on the list. Uh, but it was something that they really didn't think, you know, was in the front runner uh, because it's so rare. You know, one. Yeah. Just 15, 20 years ago was, you know, I thought of it as a one in a million disease. And now they realize, you know, it's more around 100 and 250,000. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was probably all over the course of a month that it took them to diagnose this, which, you know, isn't actually too long for this diagnosis. Uh, sometimes it can take people a lot longer to figure out, you know, something like this. But uh, yeah, I received the diagnosis in about, about a month. And, uh, we, but, you know, we really had no idea because our sites weren't really, you know, stuck on it being Fanconi anemia. 
Uh, so we really didn't know much about it at that time. Uh, I knew my parents knew more than I did because they were, you know, I have no idea how much they researched. Right. Uh, yeah. But me, my, myself, I wasn't, you know, I didn't research Fanconi anemia up to that point. And when they told me that, you know, that's what I had, uh, and they were, they seemed pretty shocked, shocked at the time when they told me even them, like them themselves, uh, it didn't all register for me, you know, at once what it was or what that would mean, uh, for the rest of my life, uh, mm-hmm. how it would affect me. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, I didn't, I get, definitely didn't process it for the first week. Like it wasn't something I think I even like I, I I knew what I knew what it, I knew the words in my head, but I had no idea the meaning of it at all. Right. I mean, you went from, for how you would describe it, a perfectly normal 16 year old mm-hmm. to now you have this Fanconi anemia, mm-hmm. we're going to call it FA. Yeah. Uh, and like, how did this change your life? Like it has to have been totally flipped upside down maybe, or. Yeah, it's, it kind of tied back in though it, it felt I felt like it almost affirmed my uh you know my hypochondria as what or <laughs> yeah like not yeah, hypochondria, hypochondria. <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah you know what what I mean. but uh yeah it I felt like it kind of reaffirmed that because I started looking at all of the you know things that were associated with with it I didn't have a lot of the really big physical abnormalities like a lot of people with anemia have thumb changes and you know mm weird kidneys even though i did get a kidney stone but uh and you know other some of them can have learning uh developments uh or learning disabilities and things like that and a lot of these things didn't show up for me when i was a kid or very young uh i did have a few of the physical abnormalities that were more rare but they did have a correlation like i had a esophageal repair when i was born which is now known to be kind of correlative with uh, Fanconi anemia, mm. uh, a smaller head, like smaller, smaller eyes. Those are all things that are associated with Fanconi anemia that, you know, we never knew when I was growing up or knew why I was so small. But my, you know, my mom and dad always referred to me that, oh, you know, we were small too. But I always felt like I, <laughs> I was like, there's no way you were, you were as small <laughs> as me. That's what I thought felt like when I was a kid. Right. So, yeah. uh, but, you're, yeah. you're kind of, so I want to, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I want to kind of dive in. You didn't really know what FA was when you were maybe 16. You just got diagnosed. You didn't fully understand it. But mm-hmm. as the years have gone on, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you've learned more about it. You know all about it now. So what exactly is it? Uh, FA is a, it's a blood and bone marrow disorder or, or disease. Uh, it affects the bone marrow, which in turn, the bone marrow affects the blood counts. Right. Uh, bone marrow failures come in. Uh, varieties of of cancers you know your risk of getting cancer is a thousand times the average person and that's not that's not an exaggerated number uh Mm -hmm. so it and it can just affect it can affect so many things it's such a blanketing disease it affects so many people in so many different ways i've seen really severe cases i've seen more mild cases even though mild case is still (laughs) is still very severe and the effects you're going to have from it are going to be you know uh, all encompassing, but I've just seen a number of different types of cases of it. Yeah. So, uh, if I'm understanding it right, then FA mm-hmm. is in itself, like it's, it's not, it is terminal illness, but it's yes. what you could catch or what you could, uh, Oh no, uh, you couldn't catch it. I mean like, so, oh. <laughs> um, you would, FA would lead to cancer i guess is what i'm asking is yes it would lead it to is? cancer so, yep since okay. it's yep it's a it's also a dna repair disorder so as okay. in like when your body gets to like when you get sunburn or you get uh you know you drink alcohol things like that can damage your dna or kind of break down your dna and your body comes in and repairs that uh with fa that dna uh repair mechanism is faulty and it a lot of times it won't repair the dna correctly and that's what will lead to the cancer uh because it will develop from the faulty way that it repairs it you know a mutation exactly so, uh, okay yep okay that's mm-hmm. uh so <laughs> at, at what point in your life did you fully grasp that uh probably late 17 18 as i f- i felt like you know when i started to grasp what it was mm-hmm. uh 
Yeah. And that's also a very term, you know, a, a turbulent time in most people's lives. They're just graduating yeah. high school. They're getting ready. You're thinking about college and uh, you're 18, you're 18 years old. So like I might've known what it was, but processing it mentally was not something I was, I don't think I was able to do at least in a healthy way. I, I, I felt mm-hmm. it, but even, even a normal 18 year old is having a lot of stuff going on in their life mentally. So uh, adding right, that exactly. on top I mean, of what it was already going through, it was like, Oh <laughs> yeah. I mean, any 16 year old, like, you know, you're learning to drive, you have all this new freedom and like 18 yeah. you're like you said, you're graduating. Life is already crazy. So yeah, that's, um, I can only imagine like uh, trying to process something like that would almost, it's like, I don't know. Did you think you experienced any like cognitive dissonance? So just like you kind of put it off oh. and like, tried to focus on re- normal life, I guess. Oh, uh, absolutely. Definitely. The, probably the first year of the diagnosis, it was more of my mind taking or using a, de- it's using it's, itself as a defense mechanism mm-hmm. and kind of putting its, putting its guard up and trying to kind of block information from coming in, I guess about it because it was already so, it was already felt overloaded by it. So it, I didn't try to take anything in. Uh, yeah. And I think that was a defense mechanism uh, at first that people go through a lot of times and what I personally had, had went through. Yeah. Uh, okay. So mm-hmm. now you're 18, you're kind of accepting it. Did you always want to come to CMU? No, that was definitely not my first choice. And uh, <laughs> I actually originally went to Grand Valley State University. Okay. Uh, yeah, right outside of Grand Rapids in Allendale. And, but I only went there for a semester. It was right out of high school. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, so I was, I went to radiology of all things, I, <laughs> which is the worst field, even though my doctor's okay to thinking about it is the worst field anybody with FA would want to go into yeah. because of you're just around radiation. Even if you, you know, they tell you that it's being blocked, you're still around so much radiation and since right. my body can't repair that de- that that radiation damage, uh, or at least very well, that would definitely be the worst place for me. And uh, I just think I realized when I got to Grand Valley that I that was definitely a, a way too quick of a decision. And there's no way that that's that's what I wanted to do. But uh, I did spend a semester there, and uh, right before I left, I'd almost kind of regretted it because I loved weather so much. And Allendale was a city that received a lot of snow, and I love. Mm-hmm. I love snow. So like just being in that city during the winter when the lake effect snow comes through was just something uh, I had got a taste of, but you know, I left right, right. Uh, when it started to really get into the full season. So I was like, Oh man, I wish I would have stayed. But now I, I don't think that, but at yeah. that time, that's what I, I felt like. That's yeah. fantastic. You love the snow. I think you're, <laughs> you're one of select few people that <laughs> love snow. Uh, I've learned to love it too. I, I spent a lot of time in, in Gaylord and like Houghton, Michigan, way up there. And yep. I've learned to love it a too, lot of snow. Yeah, I'm with you. So what was like, uh, what was life like for you at CMU then once you came? Uh, well, I came to CMU after, I think I went back down state and I went to Jackson community college for a few semesters. And then I had figured out what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to CMU because I knew they had a meteorology program, actually the only one in the state for, um, a, a broadcast or a meteorology degree uh four-year uh, bachelor's program so that's something that I really wanted to do and I knew how math heavy it was going to be and that's what was really worrisome for me uh because I was way behind in math ever since high school mm-hmm. uh and so I went to CMU for meteorology originally I also had some friends that went here too and I knew that they were here and I was also coming with my uh, roommate at Grand Valley, uh, who's my best friend. Uh, we also, we both went to CME. We both felt like we knew what we wanted to do. Uh, but I also had more friends there when I went. So I felt like kind of an easy decision. It was a little bit shorter distance than Grand Valley from my home. Grand Valley was about two and a half hours. This was about, uh, Central's about two hours. Right. So it felt like, you know, it felt like the right decision at the time. And also I did not, I didn't want to be at home, uh, for you know being a 20 year old i wanted to get out and kind of you know feel that that freedom of what it's like to be in to be in college i guess and being a teenager or you know a young adult yeah young adult yeah for sure Mm -hmm. um so you came to cmu Mm -hmm. how long before you kind of withdrew because of the next stage of your your health obstacle here 
Uh, it was actually a long time. I mean, f- about three and a half, four years, four years, I think, until uh, I knew that I needed to get the bone marrow transplant. But up to that point, I had been, you know, seeing the doctor regularly where I was getting blood draws about once a month, bone okay. marrow biopsies once every six months. Uh, and then towards the end of the four years, that started to be more frequent because they started to notice changes. Uh, so just, uh, you know, the the medical uh, intervention had just was kind of coming in in waves during, uh, you know, during my schooling through my junior leading up right. to the first semester of my senior year. But it was nothing that, you know, got in the way too much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you spent three and a half years or th- about three years at Central doing classes. Everything's great. And then you needed mm-hmm. this bone marrow transplant, which is a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I really want to focus on this because mm-hmm. from what I read in your article, this is the one thing that like really stuck out to me is your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know, like, what, (laughs) what were the days like in the hospital (laughs) leading up, like getting the chemotherapy and just take me through the process there. Yep. Well, for about, for about two weeks, I lived in, or me and my mom lived in a hotel just, you know, about two miles from the hospital. And I was going through what was called pretty much workup week or workup weeks, uh, where, I was going through all the information they were going to give me before getting my transplant, you know, making sure my body was in good enough shape to even get the transplant, uh, giving me, you know, where I was reading out my, or what, you know, reading out, not reading out my will, but like kind of signing things in, mm-hmm. in case I were to die, then, you know, where would, you know, things go, where would assets go and things like that. Right. Uh, also, you know, uh, if I were dying, like who would I want to make my decisions for me? I remember filling out that type of paperwork <laughs> uh, and just all sorts of tests, you know, x-rays, CAT scans, maybe not x-rays as much because they, they want to limit the x-rays, but, uh, right. you know, just all types of testing to see, you know, what they were possibly in for with giving me a transplant. Cause when you get a transplant too, a lot of underlying viruses that you may have that aren't surfaced, you know, they, they usually come up during a they, transplant. Yeah. So they, they wanted to figure out some of those things out before going into it to see, you know, if I was already predispositioned to have one thing uh, happen to me. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking, but it, it wasn't as nerve wracking for me as it was, as it was for my parents and my peers, I feel like. Right. Uh, I had talked to a few people before getting my, you know, going through the process that had had it, you know, much, usually they were much younger than me. When they'd had it, they'd had it, you know, around nine or 10 or, you know, something somewhere in that range. But they were now my age and they were happened to be in the city at that time, you know, which was a, which was a blessing. Wow. And I was able to talk to them in person about, you know, their transplant experiences. And I had already known people that had went through it, too. But, you know, most people were younger. Not very many people I knew had went through the transplant at my age, Uh or older. I mean, there was a few that I'd, I'd been in contact with on Facebook and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so those people were there to tell me their experiences and tell me what they, you know, what I kind of giving me a taste of maybe what I'd be going through. But, you know, what I learned from transplant is everybody's transplant uh, journey is so different and courses are, are so different from each other that uh, there's no way that you can mentally, I feel like... Mm-hmm really prepare yourself for what what is is what could happen to you or what might happen to you uh you could i guess you can never foresee what what is going to happen uh i guess but there's things i guess you could help to prepare yourself leading up to it but it's and i think that's really surrounds you know kind of realizing that you're going to lose a lot of control and i think that's what the big thing that i had to learn going through transplant was that's perfect so you said you're, you're going to lose a lot of control and this is really where mm-hmm. I kind of got hooked on, on you and your story is mm-hmm. um, during you, you're getting this chemotherapy and you described it as pretty much bringing you as close mm-hmm. to death as you possibly can, which is incredibly like powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so you also described <laughs> it as you're, you're no longer fighting 
yeah this you like it's out of your control you can't fight it there's nothing to fight you described it as you're dancing through the illness so tell us how you came to that and what it what it means uh well i think i had went into it and it seemed like i just knew mentally that i needed to make the best of it uh as far as my mind state going into it i felt like subconsciously this was also i was also being pushed in this direction of just not just being positive but just like living very uh in the moment like i was very in the moment uh Mm. during you know some of my worst days Mm -hmm. but it was also when i uh had got my transplant uh the first time on february 7th and the next uh the next morning the doctor had came in and told me that I hadn't gotten enough cells and that they weren't, they had, I had two options pretty much. And they were going to tell me what my best options were and A and a B and a was that they get the donor to redonate if they Mm -hmm. can, because there's a chance that, you know, they might say no. And two, they could uh, try to find, you know, core blood, two core blood units uh, to, to get me. And that was their plan B. And I, at this point, I'd already seen received chemo and radiation. Uh, and, you know, those the effects of those things were starting to kick in. Yeah. So it was just kind of a kind of a moment where the situation pretty much didn't give me any options. There was no I mean, there was options, but like they were so limited and I knew that there was a lot of things that were out of my hands. Like there was a lot of things that had happened, like that whole process of me not getting enough cells. I had nothing, you know, I had nothing to do with that. I had no power over those cells getting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that just made me realize that uh, a lot of things during this process, I wasn't going to be in control. Of. I wasn't going to have the, the power to, to change anything. Uh, and, I just lived very moment to moment. It was a very, it was very, not, not strange, but just like, it was, uh, it almost could have been uneasy for people seeing it to see how calm I felt, uh, during Mm. the whole situation. Cause it was almost like I had to make the decision to either, you know, somehow resist, which I don't know what resisting would look like. I don't even know. I don't even know what that would look like, but, uh, completely relinquishing to the to the situation and completely leaving it not in my own hands but one thing i was in control of was how i looked at the whole how i looked at the whole situation uh and that was the one thing that i was in control of was my attitude so i think that's really what i really what i put uh i guess you could call it my faith in mm-hmm. was was my attitude but this was all hot happening subconsciously i feel like i don't really think i was thinking this i had just re i just reacted to the situation like it that. just was it it felt very natural i guess yes it wasn't saying. like i it wasn't like i thought about it anything right. like that it was almost just like that's how that's how i acted like that's it, it that the reaction was that uh mm-hmm. to to what was going on so Great. yeah it was <laughs> so it's pretty hard to to go back there yeah. 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 I, I really appreciate it, man. It's, I can imagine. Um, so was it, I have to ask one more question on it and then we'll kind of, Oh no problem. Along. Yeah. Um, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You can ask me any questions about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. so was it like months, weeks, days later that you kind of were like dancing through the disease, like that phrase, I really like the phrase because for me looking at mm-hmm. something, I've never had uh, a major, disease or illness like that mm-hmm. i've been fortunate enough but i always hear mm-hmm. people saying and i even heard my grandpa saying who had cancer like we're gonna fight this we're gonna fight yeah. it till the end and i always wondered and i was about 10 years old at the time like what is that literally like what does that look like because i we, we think of fighting and like you know literally like physically fighting yeah like how do you fight that it seems so out of your control yes and i think that's I think it really is, is the wording of how just for lack of a better term, I think that's sometimes, or for, at least for me, the reason I call it dancing, cause I feel like I found a better term for, hmm. for 
for looking at it. Uh, but some people do do look at it as a fight and may treat it uh, a little differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with with my disease, it's something that you know I knew was part of me. It's 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 part of my DNA. It's wow, yeah. It's not it's not something that I'm going to to will off myself or <laughs> or anything like that. And I think just having you know a terminal disease, you know, not something like specifically because cancer can is, is can be genetic too. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, cancer forms, and I feel like people you know, have this idea of being it being able to be eradicated and it can, uh, I guess, I mean, I think you always feel the effects of that, but, mm-hmm. uh, but looking at it as, you know, a fight or like a war to be won, I can, I can see too how that can be beneficial to some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, it's just something that, that hasn't, it doesn't work for me. It, I did it doesn't it doesn't work for me i guess because just knowing my dis- my disease is genetic and it's part of my dna and not something that i can just write off even though plenty of people with fa and uh plenty of parents especially look at it as a fight and you know fight fa is a is one of our is one of the uh Fanconomia research foundations uh mottos mm-hmm. so you know that 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 term- terminology of fighting it, it runs deep and uh, I think it especially rings true with the with the parents and the people that are surrounding uh, the person with the illness uh, because they feel like, you know, they can fundraise, they can do things uh, to help, I guess, bring awareness to the disease or a disease like cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can, you know, they can rally people around that and it, it helps them to use the terminology as a fight. But as somebody that has the disease and somebody that, that lives with it and it's, it's part of me, it's literally, you know, changed the course of my life and will continue to, uh, it's a lot less of a fight to me than it is finding a balance and mm-hmm. uh, learning to live with my disease. You know, not, not letting the, a lot of people say they don't let their disease define them. Well, I don't let my disease define me, but it is a big part of, of who I am and it has taught me taught me you know so much i feel like that i I wouldn't have known about or wouldn't have learned without the disease so it's not like i feel like i can't just disrespect the disease by calling it like a fight or something like an enemy Mm -hmm. but to me it's something that i i need to and also you know continue to learn to live with so for me kind of seeing it as as my dance partner you know more somebody that i'm moving with as fluidly as possible uh, to cause less stress on on me, especially. Uh, because I feel like if I were to look at it as a fight, it's a fight that, you know, it's it's a fight that can't that can't be won, at least with the with the goals that I guess I have. Uh, yeah, it just <laughs> That's, but does does yeah, keep going. But does Sorry. dying what, what I was gonna say was does dying mean that you lose? I don't see I don't think so. I think it's that's also, you know, part of that fighting language. Mm. I don't think that a lot of people don't stress how much uh how stress somewhat how stressful it can be to put emphasis on winning by uh staying alive. Uh I think you win a fight too if if you're looking at it as a warrior mentality by, you know, not letting it destroy who you are and being able to you know be able to live your best life uh despite of that uh what you have so do you win the fight by living your best life and living it to the fullest that's that's what i feel like yep that's i feel like the if you're considering it a fight or a war at least let's put emphasis on on not like if someone survives that doesn't make them a winner, I guess, per se, of the... It does make them a winner of the fight, I guess. But it's more so the attitude that you have around mm-hmm. it, I feel like, makes you more of a, you know, of a winner than than uh, otherwise. Yeah. That's that's incredible. <laughs> um, all right, Rudy, you said a lot of things, and I would like thinking of, like, we can segue this way, this way. Um, and we're going to get to all of them. But during your time with, at the chemotherapy, were you still taking classes? Mm-hmm. Were you? 
Uh, when I was receiving chemotherapy, no, because I'd only been received. Okay. I'd received chemotherapy for about five days. It was an intense chemotherapy regimen. Ah. Oh, okay. uh, but recovering uh, during the first uh, three months, uh, oh like a day 70, I started taking an online class, which, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I'd like to go into that. Yeah. So it was mm-hmm. a religion class called Death and Dying, yep. correct? Yes, okay. correct. You found it therapeutic? I did. I did. And going into it, you know, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. Uh, I had, you know, people that I told that I'd been taking that class, they were, you know, thought that I was crazy for taking, you know, that type of course during, <laughs> you know, such a tumultuous time. And, you know, during a time where death was something that I was thinking about often. So, yeah. <laughs> or someone would think that I was thinking about death often, but I, I was too. So. Yeah. So how was it? How was it therapeutic, I guess? Because from what I gathered, um, you, you outlined that cultures look at death very differently than the, we do in America. Yes. That's what I had, you know, right when I'd start first, first started reading it, that's really what the book kind of dove into in the class it dove into how, you know, uh, places like Mexico, like they, you know, they celebrate death, like with something like the day of the dead, they went over, you know, different right. countries and just showed how it's a lot more of a celebration, uh, of life, uh, around it you know instead of our our funerals i guess this is what i'm talking about right now is like how the i guess how morbid i guess our culture is kind of about death like we really it's a really glum time and i i understand that uh you know it's a very it's really it's deeply saddening that someone you know passing away is but it feels like uh our culture in particular just places so much emphasis on uh, get, I guess getting over it and, Mm. and moving on with it. But also like we don't, I guess I feel like we don't celebrate uh, everybody's life particularly, I guess, correct. But I mean, it's, it's the person's will who dies that kind of, I feel like points in the direction of, where you want to take uh, something like that. But I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that <laughs> other countries see it much more as a celebration, and they also view death as a very natural part of life. And I think we all realize that, you know, death is a natural part of life, but there's so much anxiety around it because it's not, I feel like it's just not talked openly enough about uh, Mm-hmm. And I think that also that leads to a lot of the anxiety that we have is because a lot of people have these thoughts about it and they don't feel like they can bring it up to anybody or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, they just feel kind of kind of trapped with it. Uh, but we I feel like we all kind of have these, you know, these thoughts towards death, you know, the fear of the fear of dying and around that uh, subject. And I just feel like talking about it is just so therapeutic, I feel like, and just realizing, you know, how our our life is dependent on death there would be there would be no life outside of death they can't they can't exist you know separately they have to exist together so one's completely dependent on the other and that's just something that you know when i was reading you know going through this book and you know looking at all these cultures and how they deal with death uh we also dove into end of life and how you know people grieve around around death and how people I guess what could be going through someone's head as they are dying uh we actually didn't dive as much into that as into around the people around them and how they treated it but I guess what I got Mm -hmm. from this was that you know they they just go hand in hand it's something that I mean if you're you're living right now and uh you're living because because of death also it's just like they can't they can't coexist they can't uh they can't exist separately, I guess, is what I'm saying. So right. you're yeah. living because you're not. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just <laughs> something of, I guess yeah. I really latched onto when I was yeah. at that time when I was, you know, going reading that book, taking that class. And I was also so I felt cl- close with that at the time because I had thought so much about it. Uh, I had pretty much teetered up and down, not teetered up and down, but, you know, just lived. I felt like right on the edge of it for 
you know, a few months at that point. And it just started, it almost felt like something familiar. It was, yeah, it was a very, yeah, it was a very interesting, (laughs) interesting time in my life uh, at that point, because I was just still so close. I, I knew that, you know, any day something bad could happen because it had already happened to me. Like bad things had already happened to me up to that point. And looking back at it, I would, you know, it was just kind of a, a, a miracle that I was already, you know, I had still been alive and it was just, yeah, it was very, it was a very strange experience, <laughs> but, but yeah. a very good experience. I, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I have to ask you, because I, I'm personally kind of believer in, a believer in, and things happen for a reason, but we kind of make, make it that reason. Yeah. Um, so you going through this big experience, being brought so close to death, and then and this road to recovery, and then all of a sudden this class becomes available and mm-hmm. you take it. Do you think that things happen for a reason? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. It's... Dang. I think everything, every, every cause has an effect. So in that regards, I guess there's some things that have happened in my life, like, you know, mere coincidences or things like that, that just seem almost too (laughs) coincidency. If that's not even a word, but, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, you know, I just, I encounter on a, you know, on a, it seems like at least a monthly basis, something very, very, very coincident, you know, coincidentally, or going through that whole process that I went through, just so many things had to come together perfectly, but unperfectly, I felt like <laughs> for that to happen. Mm. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know, it's, it's something that I'm still actually really grappling with. Cause if you asked me this question uh, a few, you know, like a year ago or two years ago, you know, a year and a half ago, I would say no not everything happens for a reason as in like the, the part of thinking along the lines, everything happens for a reason for the better. I guess some people mm. maybe, maybe think okay. like that, like, Oh, this is the best thing for us. Cause you know, that's, that's the path that we are being taken on. I don't think everything always happens for the better. I think, you know, bad things happen. Uh, but I think you kind of mentioned it when you brought it up, like how do you react to those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, can make it better and uh that's really the important part but i do think you know bad things do do happen to do happen to people and bad you know there are there are it seems like bad endings in this life but the thing is we don't know exactly how the you know what happens when we die so we can't really say Mm -hmm. we can't really say that's just the end of the end of it so i guess to answer the question uh i think Everything does happen for a reason, but that reason isn't always a good reason, and it's not always uh, mm-hmm. it's always not always for for the best. Bad things do happen, but how we react mm-hmm. to them and how we can, you know, make the best out of the situation we are given is the important part. So that's still see we still have a little bit of control, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, okay. I'm not gonna add it. That was great, man. Um, so, all right. So you're now, that was an online class, uh, right? Correct. Yes. Yep. That was an online class. So, okay. So after that, you finally decided to go back to CMU. You want to finish your degree. Your doctors say not a great idea because, mm-hmm. um, you'd be immunocompromised. Yes. Correct. Yep. Okay. So they're saying it's not a very good idea, but you kind of say, what, what was your words to them? Like, screw it. I'm going or what? Uh, well, I wanted to go back after the first year, <laughs> honestly, the first okay. year I had been like, I wanted to start in the first fall where, you know, I'd gotten in the hospital in like late June, early July of 2017. And I wanted to go back to school right away, but also, you know, my doctors told me it wasn't so good of idea. And also I could just feel it in my body too, that I was a little too unstable. I feel like to go back to central. Uh, but the second time I had, you know, I had lived at home for, like over a year now I had been, you know, sitting and all my friends are at college and, mm. or, you know, graduated college. And, you know, I was just kind of sitting at home and I mentally, you know, I was just needing some type of social interaction outside of, you know, the internet 
and uh, social media, uh, I was just getting really restless at home during that, that second year. And, you know, I had gotten a little bit better shape and, you know, gotten off a few of the drugs I needed to be on. Uh, so I felt a little more stable the second time, but I had a doctor, uh, my main doctor in Minnesota said, you know, he still didn't think it was a good idea because I still had some things up in the air. And then my doctor at the university of Michigan, uh, thought, you know, they had seen what I'd been going through, uh, you know, mentally, you know, struggling being at home. So I think they thought it was a good idea for me to go back to school too. But my, you know, my main bone marrow parents, my doctor didn't uh, think it was a great idea. But I was, okay. yeah, like you said, I was going to go anyway at that point. <laughs> <laughs> right on, yeah. yeah. So you, you go, and mm. is it at this point, I want to touch on this just to kind of give people like a full story of what you had going on. Was it at, when you went back to school that you got two bouts of meningitis? I did, yes. That was, okay. that was only about a month and a half or two months ago. About really? a month and a half ago, maybe not two months ago. Let's see, it's... Yeah, probably about a month and a half ago. It was in April. So, wow. So, you're just continuing to dance through these obstacles. Yeah, that was, you know, that was really surprising. I mean, I, I had had since my transplant, you know, if I had a few more kidney stones, a few hiccups, you know, with like stomach flu and stuff like that. But, you know, this was very surprising because while I was in the hospital, I had also, I had uh, viral meningitis while I went through my transplant. Uh, at about day 60, I had viral meningitis. So I had already known what that was like, but this diagnosis was bacterial meningitis, which is a little bit different. It's bacterial. And, uh, yeah, it, yes. And it, it hit me hard within, I don't know, probably six, between four and six hours. I knew I had to go to the hospital because I was just throwing up so much. I was, you know, my head was the worst that it ever felt ever. I had never experienced a headache like that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just knew it was a good idea to go to the hospital. But yeah, I was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis. And then I was uh, put on IV antibiotics. And then about a week later, I had the same symptoms after I had just gotten off the IV antibiotics and went back to the hospital. And they looked at me again. And they're like, we're not sure this time if this is bacterial meningitis because they couldn't see, they couldn't grow an active uh, culture. And they were trying to grow a certain culture to see which type of bacteria it was, and they weren't able to identify it. So they, the second time, you know, they they started to question the bacterial uh, diagnosis or bacterial meningitis diagnosis uh, that they had originally given me because they, they still, and they still haven't gave me a good answer of what they, you know, thought was causing that, but I'd went on another course of mm. an, IV antibiotics and, uh, and it, and eventually it, I had, haven't had a headache in a while. So, uh, that's good news, but, but they still yeah, haven't gave yeah. me an answer for, uh, you know, what everything that had happened, uh, about a month and a half ago. Do you want ago. one? Do you want a diagnosis? Yeah. Uh, do you want, do you care? I mean, like, if I just... never get another headache again or not never again, but you know, if I don't have an experience <laughs> like that again, then maybe that'll be fine. But yeah. you know, if I get another one, then I think that'll be the point when I'm like, okay, I want to know what's causing this. Cause obviously it's something that is not resolved. So, right. That's when I want a diagnosis. <laughs> okay, Still wouldn't mind cool. one now, but. Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Just to get some peace with it and mm -hmm. know what it is. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to know your current life. Okay. Uh, what, what are your passions, man? Like what, what are your goals now? You mentioned goals earlier, so let's talk about them. Okay. Uh, well, I just got back home about, like I said, it was two weeks ago that I graduated. It feels like, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and I've already, I wasn't going to go searching for a job quite yet, but, uh, I had a, uh, freelance uh, job kind of land on me. So I took that. It was actually a freelance photography job and it's Great. kind of something that, you know, I'm interested in, but I'm still not sure if I want to be a freelance photographer. It's just a really demanding, uh, mm. job that, you know, is, is really, it's not like I don't want to do a lot of work, but you know, a lot of it's very, can get very redundant. So, uh, that's not something, you know, I'm not exactly sure if I want to go to career path with that yet, but, uh, yeah, it's right now I'm just really trying to, tr trying to plan out what I'm going to be doing, I guess. And also I'm taking a lot of time to heal. And I think that's mm -hmm. the big thing is, you know, after going through, you know, the, what probably is bacterial meningitis, first diagnosis of bacterial meningitis, second time, they're not sure. 
but I had just, you know, went through that not too long ago. And I just realized a lot of it had to do too with me having so much schoolwork and being so Mm. stressed out from school, probably that it led, you know, it, it kind of, you know, led to worse things happening already with a compromised immune system uh, and being around people. So I think right now I'm really taking time to, to do self-care. You know, I'm doing meditation, I'm doing uh, some yoga and things like that. And, you know, trying to, trying to eat, you know, eat, eat better since I have my own, you know, food at home and I don't have to, you know, try to scrounge food together when I have really little time, not much time to cook. (laughs) So, yeah, self-care is really a big thing I'm working on right now. And just dude. okay, Yeah. Uh, Sorry. That is amazing because I was thinking earlier when we were talking about fighting versus dancing is Mm -hmm. maybe uh, you mentioned that if you're you're born with F.A. So you the best way is just accept it. It's who you are. You dance with it. Mm -hmm. Someone who develops a more serious disease. I think then the terminology fight it makes a little more sense it's more appropriate and i think a couple of ways to fight it just from somebody looking from the outside in is just through like self-care or eating better or be, you know mm-hmm. um you mentioned meditation which is amazing mm-hmm. I, I meditate as well mm-hmm. um so i don't know how what led you to that path because that's not the most common thing for people uh meditation and things like yeah. like that uh well yeah. probably i probably started doing meditation when i was around 19 years old because I was, <laughs> oh. I was always, I've, I've been a, I've been a reader ever since I've got out of high school, which is weird. It's usually the opposite. You know, people get out of high school and they, they don't read as much, but I read more now, a lot more than I'm out of high school and mm-hmm. uh, always been, you know, interested in like Eastern religion and like some, you know, I have a few authors that I read a lot. And also I don't, I don't, I really don't know how I got into meditation though, particularly or yoga. Uh, I don't do yoga as much as meditation, but I'm still interested in it. But uh, mm-hmm. meditation was just something that, yeah, right when I was about 19 years old, I think I picked up a book called The Science of Mind. Uh, I think his name was like Ernest Holmes. And it wasn't something that uh, I was going to take particularly serious. I was just interested in really what he, what he had to say. Yeah. And I think that's really how I, how I started you know, doing meditation and these different mantras Uh, that were in the book, but I didn't really, you know, follow, I didn't really agree with everything he had to say in the book, but I did take a few pieces from it. And the pieces that I did take from it, uh, from the meditation, things like that, you know, I started to do more research and, you know, read more books. And I think that's what kind of led me more down that path. And I just realized how therapeutic it was, how much it did uh, change my outlook uh, on life and allowed me to deal with, you know, things with a lot more poise and a lot mm. more just I had a lot more composure, you know, after mm-hmm. after meditating. Uh, it made every meditation session isn't great, but, you know, you know what I mean? Like the the buildup of, of doing it every day after a while, you know, after a few weeks, you really start to see the benefits uh, mm-hmm. of how it changes you. Yeah, totally. I, I totally get it. We mm-hmm. actually did an episode about meditation last week with uh, someone who who teaches meditation. So this is. This is funny. Um, what uh, you you mentioned experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think your experience or your outlook in life has changed because of your experiences? And how is, I guess, how has meditation directly influenced that to your, your outlook? Uh, I think that's allowed a lot of my thoughts to kind of slow down. And, you know, my my framework around this disease and how I think about it kind of it gets a lot more double checked now like my my thoughts Mm. i think that's the big benefit i get from it is you know seeing a thought and realizing you know what type of thought that is how that's affecting me and being able to i guess kind of put it through a filter that's what i really feel like is 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 filtering my i feel like i'm more so filtering my thoughts being able to see all of them and uh you know a lot of the the negative thoughts that you know are generated around uh me thinking about, you know, this, this disease that I have, or, you know, the anxiety it puts on my, my parents and things like that. Like I'm allowed with, with meditation, it's just allowing me to, I guess, kind of filter those thoughts, put them in a better perspective. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just kind of, 
also dealing with the inevitability around of just life's course, maybe not just death in particular, but just life's course and how life with one thing, one fact with life is that it, it goes on and just knowing, uh, not knowing, but like with meditation, just being able to see these thoughts, I guess I can really think about what's the best way to, to go about, I guess each day that not, not the, particularly the activities that I'm doing, but how I'm thinking, you know, attaching myself to my breath and really putting me, grounding me in the present moment, uh, has been, has been really big, has been, uh, just knowing, you know, knowing that the, the now is the best place to be, uh, which I haven't, (laughs) I don't think is drilled into my head right now. I definitely think a lot about the the past, about the future, but, you know, I definitely think a lot more in the present than I used to. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when I was first diagnosed, it's just yeah. been, it's been a journey. So. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think that's a big teaching of meditation is you become an observer mm-hmm. of your thought rather than becoming your thought. It, yep, exactly. Um, that's it. Whether that be good mm-hmm. or bad. So. <laughs> all right. All right. A couple of okay. last questions, man. Um, they're kind of, it's going to be a little bit random and, and I just want to see your response. So what can we all do to better our lives here on earth as an individual? Uh, I think, (laughs) well, I think the one thing I just, you know, I just mentioned was meditation. That's, that's a big thing. I think that's meditation or some form. It doesn't have to be what you think of it as, you know, sitting with your legs crossed and, you know, attaching yourself to your breath and, you know, sitting on the, a big hill or something like that. Like that's not what meditation has to be. It can be, you know, just taking five deep controlled breaths, closing your eyes and just, you know, envision yourself, you know, some, so does, you don't have to yourself somewhere else per se, but just slowing things down, like just not, not acting, mm-hmm. not like you said, not acting on your thoughts, just not acting on your thoughts for, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds and just watching them. You can learn, you can learn a lot about yourself and a lot about your, uh, your thought patterns and your tendencies just by doing that. Uh, and I think that makes your, I think that's, you know, invaluable. That's (laughs) something you can't even place like worth on is Mm -hmm. understanding yourself. That's, I think one of the greatest assets is understanding yourself and your tendencies. So, you know, putting your time into things like self-care, like I was talking about, I think is probably the most important thing. Uh, is putting, Mm. you know, putting the time into care for yourself. You know, a lot of people say the, you know, that phrase, like you got to put your oxygen mask on before you help other people. And I think that's, you know, (laughs) that, that really rings true. Uh, Yeah. So self-care is definitely, I think the thing that we can really do to, to help ourselves, but also help, help others. Cause you know, a lot of the things that we think about, a lot of things that we go through mentally, uh, a lot of other people go through like it's not like I've learned that you know the mm-hmm. the the thoughts I have around my disease and about you know the inevitability of death and the anxiety that that can bring that's not the I'm not the only one that has those thoughts like it's a lot a large amount of the population has those thoughts so just yeah. learning learning more about yourself invariably it also helps you learn about others too so uh, I think you know learning about yourself can also teach you can also teach you empathy so you know learning to go easy on yourself Mm. in some situations uh yeah it can can really help you out yeah i I love that answer it's it's, i mean there's so many things vying for our attention these Mm -hmm. days Uh, (laughs) social media the news and everything going on yeah i not a lot of people take yeah, this that is, time. And this is the first time that we know of, you know, in history that this, something like this has happened where we've just been bombarded by technology. So we have no oh, yeah. idea what yeah. this is, you know, in 40 years, what, you know, this generation and the, the generation after us is going to, you know, is going to look like in the types of problems that they're going to have because we've never dealt with anything like this before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's, that's fantastic mm-hmm. advice. All right. Have you found benefit in having these these ex- near death experiences and FA, which is a terminal illness? Have you, have you found benefit? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's 
I absolutely have. And that's it's it's a question mm-hmm. that I think it's weird though, because if you were to ask that question, you know, ten minutes after I was diagnosed, my answer obviously wouldn't be the same. <laughs> uh, I would I would right. definitely not wish it upon you know anybody or myself. But now that you know my life has started to take its course, and I've seen uh, how this disease has affected my life in the in the full scope of things. Not just the good things, not just the bad things. Uh, I think so. I think that, that. Am I happy that I have it? No, but it's it's right. just taught me so much. I don't think, you know, in the life that I'm living right now, it wouldn't be any other way. Uh, so, any I think mm. really anything can be can be happening to me right now. Maybe not anything, but. Uh, I would, you know, I would try to find the best in the situation because that's just, you know, how I, yeah, ha- how I think, and um, yeah, that's, that's who you are. Exactly, it's who it's who I am. It's in your DNA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think I I asked that question because I can I've recently become passionate about the growth mindset versus mm-hmm. the fixed mindset, and I know 100 percent that you have mm-hmm. a growth mindset. <laughs> just from reading your article mm-hmm. and hearing you talk here, it's, it's honestly, it's, mm-hmm. it's inspiring and it's, it's something that everyone can look up to and to be faced with something mm-hmm. like this and still want to be like, I'm taking care mm-hmm. of myself through your self care mm-hmm. meditation. I'm mm-hmm. going to go graduate. I'm going to find the opportunity mm-hmm. in this and live my best life. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how you win. Ex- that's, that's exactly. Fantastic. That's, that's definitely, definitely my mindset. And I wouldn't, I don't think I could think it, you know, <laughs> any other way at least for me that's just mm-hmm. that's just part of part of who i am uh regardless of you know fanconi anemia or not so yeah, yeah. all right cal mm-hmm. uh this is the big question yep. here okay <laughs> we ask all of our guests this so what does being a warrior mean to you? <laughs> and i knew this question was coming too and uh and it's yep. it's i sat there and thought about it and i'm like you know, really, I feel like what I see as myself as being a dancer, I see as what other people view as being a warrior. Uh, I just, you know, have a different terminology for it. I, you know, I call it dancing, but other people call it, could call it fighting. But, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, it's all about living your best life. It's all about going out there and trying and being brave enough to, to live your best life, find what makes you happy and doing those things. Cause so many people don't, don't act, act on their, uh, you know, their, their passion and things like that, act on their passions. And, uh, you know, they get caught you know, thinking, Oh, I need to make this much money. I need to have this house and this car. And a lot of people, you know, that's, that's security. That's that, that may be comforting for the, for the time being. But I think that, you know, there might come a day where, Maybe that's some people's dream, but there might come a day where mm-hmm. you realize that, you know, that really wasn't my, my dream uh, or, you know, what makes me happy. I just was told that's what should make me happy. Uh, and I think really following that, mm. that, gut, that gut instinct of what makes you happy, uh, I think that's really brave uh, to be able to do that. And I think, you know, that's what more so makes someone a warrior or, in my case, a a, a dancer yeah <laughs> that's great yeah. i love it all right kyle you have no idea how much i appreciate <laughs> you coming on here and talking about this it like you just said it it's incredibly brave to talk about it especially mm-hmm. with someone you don't really know and me and we just met mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago basically through yep. text um <laughs> So, dude, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for finding the time for us. Uh, um, uh, I would love to stay in touch with you. Um, is there anywhere that people can follow you? Like, yeah. You want people to follow you on Instagram? Yeah, sure. Like I'm always, you know, keep my Instagram updated the most. So, yeah, that's at, at Kyle Tan, K-Y-L-E-T-A-N-N 22. Uh, yeah, and I, you Perfect. know, I keep people posted on, you know, a lot of my health concerns or my health things going on there. Uh yeah. A lot of my food adventures, which I enjoy doing. So uh, yeah, <laughs> people post it on there. Yeah, actually, I got on Instagram today and started mm-hmm. following you and saw all your food stuff. And I was, <laughs> it was pretty good. 
I love it, man. All right. Well, thank you so much again, man. I wish you all the best and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay? But yeah. Thanks, Jared. I really appreciate it too. Thank you very much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.